And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And we have a lot to talk about this week, including some interesting power shifts in among appropriators on both the House and Senate Appropriations Committees as the new Congress gets organized. And this never-ending battle over raising the debt limit with a highly anticipated meeting at the White House with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, all the political dynamics at play as the two sides jockey for position on how to negotiate a deal on that. So a lot to get to, and joining me to do that today are Aiden Quigley, appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. And Paul Krawczak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you, and great to be back. So, Aiden, let me start with you because um, we saw a lot of jockeying for power going on this week as the appropriations committees try to get organized. Still not quite done. It seems like it's taking an unusually large amount of time this year since it's already now February and the Congress began a month ago. But where are we? Because we are going to see some some major changes in 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 power as as these spending bills get written this year. Yeah, we we definitely will. It's a, it's a February third, and and the Senate Appropriations Committee is not yet fully organized. The subcommittee chairs have not been uh, announced or on the Republican side even even finalized yet. Um, you know, it did take longer than usual. It's safe to say part of it was because uh, Nebraska Senator Ben Sass resigned from the Senate and his he got replaced. But it took a while for Senator Ricketts to take office, and now you know it's just taking some time to get everything get everything lined up on the Senate side. The slow moving Senate that reputation is well earned, I think. Oh, for sure, definitely, definitely taking time on the Senate side. And over on the House side, you know, the week long speakers election. Uh, delayed things a little bit over there, but they have finalized and announced both uh, chairs and ranking members of their subcommittees on, on the House side. So start with the House committee because, you know, there's where you see uh, a turnover, a real turnover in power because a Democratic committee is now under the control of Republicans. What's at play there? How 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 big of a change are we talking about? Yeah, so definitely, definitely a big change on top of the committee. Uh, with Kate Granger taking over for Rosa DeLauro, the Democrat, who's now the ranking member. Uh, you know, Republicans are obviously going to write very, very different bills than the Democrats wrote last year uh, on the House side. And taking a step even deeper to the subcommittee level, there's a lot of change happening uh, with a handful of senior appropriators not receiving waivers that they had requested to stay on past the term limits at their preferred subcommittees. So there's been definitely a shakeup with, you know, long-term appropriators like Hal Rogers and Mike Simpson, uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, Tom Cole, uh, moving around uh, on the, at the subcommittee level. And certainly it's going to be interesting to see how they write those bills, right? Because Because Republicans are now promising to cut next year's spending bills down to fiscal 2022 levels, which is something like an 8% whack if they did it across the board. And yet they seem to be a little bit at odds because I, I, I asked Kay Granger about that and, and she didn't seem wedded to that idea. She didn't commit herself to the, to the fiscal 22 level. 
and she's been adamant about not cutting defense. And, you know, if you're going to, if it's hard to slash discretionary spending by that much, by 8% and exempt defense, right? Defense is about half of all discretionary spending. So then you're talking about, if you exempt that, you're talking about an, a huge whack on all the non-defense programs. Very interesting as to whether they can pull this off. Yeah, for sure. The fiscal 22 level was a promise that Kevin McCarthy made during his attempt to become speaker. Uh, as we know, that lasted almost a full week. That, that was his promise. Obviously, we'll see if the appropriators stick to it or not. I would guess that they would try to stick to that, uh, even though obviously defense will not see cuts. I think there'll be pretty steep cuts to some of the other other bills, at least as they're written. You, you know, there's there's no... There hasn't been a strong indication yet that they won't write the bills to the fiscal 22 level as they, as they promised. But that's something that's probably easier said than done. Yeah. And of course, the other change you'll see on that committee is, is you know, they famously write all these, all these policy riders into their bills. And so all of the clashes on social policies, particularly abortion policy, are going to come to the fore because now you've got Republicans in control. I don't think we can understate how different uh, life will be at the at the labor HHS subcommittee, which controls the largest slice of non-defense spending, right? Where where the, the, the chair used to be Rosa DeLauro, the Connecticut Democrat, adamant abortion rights proponent. And the new chair is, is Robert Adderholt from Alabama, the conservative Republican. Clearly a different agenda there. For, for sure. And- I also, I think we'll be seeing a different process as well on the House floor with maybe an open rule, open amendments. You know, we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. But it could be a lengthy process to uh, keep an eye on as we move into the into the summer. But of yeah. course, we're quite a ways away from, you know, seeing any bills written. Uh, you know, the president's budget isn't expected to be released until March. So, you know, definitely, we definitely have a few months before we really... Uh, get get rolling here on fiscal uh, 2024. But that's a good point too about how these bills will come to the floor with 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 open-ended amendment process at least is what Republicans have promised. We haven't seen that in a long time. Uh and that that could really delay these bills getting done because <laughs> how many amendment votes are they going to have to get each one across the floor? Uh, and you could really see you'll see some real partisan differences there uh, on on all these policy items as that moves forward. And then, Aiden, on the Senate side, Democrats are still in control, so there's a little less of a dramatic turnover there. But you have both leaders of the Senate Appropriations Committees changing hands: Pat Leahy, Vermont Democrat, and, and Richard Shelby, the Alabama Republican, are now gone after years of steering that committee together. And we have new women leading the panel. Uh, Patty Murray of Washington, the Democrat, Susan Collins, Republican of Maine. What's that going to mean? And are you expecting any any change in, in substance or style? Yeah, so we'll uh, definitely, def- different leadership uh, on the Senate side as well with Patty Murray and Susan Collins taking over. Uh, both of them have said that they want to mark up bills in committee and move bills, uh, you know, on the floor. So we'll see, you know, both have, you know, they released a joint statement saying that, you know, they would prefer not to do an omnibus at the end of the year. 
So we'll definitely be looking closely at, you know, will they be, is that something that they will be able to accomplish? It, it seems like it's a common uh, statement at this point of the year that, you know, they'll, the Fofians are going to try to move bills, but, you know, last year the Senate didn't move any uh, on the floor and, uh, you know, house only got about half, half through the house. So, you know, we're gonna have to take a, take a look and see how that goes, but that's definitely the goal that, uh, Senator Murray and Collins are bringing to the table here. And the Senate committee has yet to uh, finalize all of its subcommittee leadership slots, but we do know some things, right? And we know, for instance, that Patty Murray, the, the new committee chair, is has to give up her, her, her gavel at the Labor HHS subcommittee, which is that big, powerful subcommittee for, for non-defense spending. Why is that? And do we know who's going to fill her shoes? Yeah. So Senator Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin is expected to move over to the top spot on labor HHS education. Uh, and Martin Heinrich from New Mexico uh, will then move into her role in uh, the agriculture panel. Uh, we're still waiting to see the final list. Uh, the Democrats are planning on announcing it with the Republicans. And the Republicans are not have not yet finalized their list as they're still kind of sorting through what the different members' preferences are based on seniority and, and slotting people uh, based on based on their metrics uh, over there. And on the Republican side, we do know that Susan Collins, the committee's top Republican ranking member, uh, does plan to, to take uh, that slot on the defense subcommittee. She's long been a big shipbuilding advocate. She has a big shipyard up in Maine that she's long tended to. And you'll see her fight for that, and that gives her a prime position there. Any other any surprises on the Republican side that you know of yet? Yeah, so there'll be a lot of shakeup on the Republican side with Shelby retiring and Collins moving to the defense slot. That opens both labor, HHS education, and transportation, HUD, uh, two of the biggest uh, non-defense bills. Right. So. Uh, definitely a lot of interest in those slots, we would, we would assume. Um, it seems like Shelley Marcapito from West Virginia is going to head over to Labor HHS Education from her position on Homeland Security, which would presumably be another slot that Republican, you know, Republican members would be interested in serving on. So A lot uh, of musical chairs going on here. A lot of musical chairs and hoping to, it seems like, I don't want to jinx it, but it seems like next week we will finally get a announcement of how this all started out, uh, which is something I'm definitely looking forward to. Well, we've been waiting a month. It seems like every day is supposed to be the day, and we're not there yet, but hopefully next week, I guess. Okay. We'll watch for that, and we'll cert- you'll certainly be covering it, I know. Meanwhile, the big fight over lifting the debt limit, guys, reached a little bit of a crescendo this week when Kevin McCarthy showed up at the White House to meet with President Biden on, uh, on this, which really sort of kicks off unofficially what's probably going to be months of negotiations on this in this hard-fought battle to lift the debt ceiling, which both sides say they know they need to lift, but the question is how to do it because Republicans are pressing for spending cuts to go along with it, and Democrats say, no way, you can't hold the debt ceiling hostage. It's too dangerous for the economy to link those. Paul, 
Where do you think we are? Who has the upper hand here? Uh, did anything get accomplished at that White House meeting? Uh, yes, it did in the sense that the debt conversations have begun. I say debt conversations rather than debt limit negotiations because uh, Speaker McCarthy is insisting on negotiations over spending cuts that would ride with the debt limit increase. Uh, President Biden um, came out of that meeting saying, uh, we will not negotiate over the debt limit, but happy to talk with Republicans about deficit reduction. So, you know, those two different ways of portraying this are likely to continue for some time with Democrats saying, we won't negotiate over the debt limit, but we will negotiate over deficit reduction and Republicans saying we are looking for something in return for raising the debt limit. Um, but is this semantics, Paul? I mean, if they're going to talk about spending cuts as they talk about, <laughs> as they try to raise the debt limit, um, you know, you can you can call it whatever you want, I guess. The, the White House is calling it a separate discussion on spending cuts, but um, does it matter? I mean, if, if they're going to be discussing, if they're going to be negotiating spending cuts, it sounds like that's heading in the Republican direction. Um, it is semantics, but it's also similar to 2011, which was the last time that, that a, there was a debt limit increase with a signif significant spending cuts. The, the Budget Control Act, the 10-year the caps on spending was, was attached to that debt limit increase. And that was similar because um, you had Speaker John Boehner who was saying, we are going to negotiate over the debt limit. And you had President Obama who was saying, let's negotiate over deficit reduction. So the, the semantics uh, in 2011 were a little bit like the semantics now. Um, the, you know, you asked uh, who, who has the, um, who is in the stronger position right now? And I would say probably, uh, probably President Biden and the Democrats, because I mean, Democrats, since 2011 have successfully resisted negotiating any major policies in connection with raising the debt limit. So it's going to be and a real... You do, and you do have a Democratic-controlled Senate to back up right. Biden. Right, that too. Um, and you had a Democratic-controlled Senate back in 2011. Um, but Republicans have a very narrow majority in the House, and they have a real uphill battle because they need to, they need to unify their conference um, behind something. And right now there are a lot of ideas out there. Uh, Speaker uh, McCarthy is really emphasizing spending cuts. And as a matter of fact, you know, one of the ideas has been to some kind of fiscal commission, uh, which would, uh, you know, try to work out, you know, spending cuts in the future. And, um, and Speaker McCarthy said, you know, we, we don't need another fiscal commission. Um, we need to cut spending now. Uh, so, but one interesting idea that has that was raised the other day, and this was in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, and this this column was written by uh, former Texas Senator Phil Graham and one of his top aides, Mike Solon. And the point they make in their column is, if if House Republicans are going to succeed, they are going to need to put forth something which is easy to understand, and can be popular with the American people. So what they are proposing is 
uh, claw back all of the funding that has not been spent yet from the COVID emergency. And that could save hundreds of billions of dollars right there. Um, so so that, that, is their, that is their proposal. And that's something which has been discussed before. And even the Republican Study Committee, the conservative group in the House, that is one of their ideas as well, something like that. And I, I could see that being a, a possible compromise here for spending cuts that don't that don't actually harm uh, programs going forward. Um, doubtful that that would be enough, right? I mean, McCarthy has talked pretty pretty directly now about wanting wanting two years worth of dis- of cuts to overall discretionary spending, um, which Democrats are resisting. I think the interesting thing to me, Paul, is is whether Republicans could even agree on what those cuts will look like, because you do have this tension we talked about earlier about Republicans not wanting to cut defense. And I think that's why you saw last week Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, every day, every chance he got, he said, Republicans, show us your plan, right? Because the, the Democrats are betting that Republicans don't have a plan to cut spending, which clearly they don't, they don't yet. The question is, can they get one? And Schumer was very direct at a press conference this week and saying he doesn't think they can get there. He thinks that that if if they try for dramatic cuts, moderate Republicans are going to rebel. And remember, with that narrow majority they have in the House, it's only going to take a few Republicans to scuttle the deal. And so if they try, try for dramatic cuts, Schumer is saying the moderates are going to rebel. And if they try for very modest cuts... The the what he calls the MAGA Republicans, the Trump wing of the party, the the ultra conservatives, are going to rebel, as saying it's it's not enough, and that they won't have the two hundred eighteen votes you need to get that passed in the House. McCarthy in, was asked about it and insists that yes, Republicans are going to be unified, but of course he has to say that now, and he has to have faith that they will be unified. Any guess how that plays out? Because they really are in a squeeze. Well, yeah, they're going to have to, you know, come up with a plan, and it's going to have to be a plan that that is, uh, you know, that is uh, acceptable to the, the moderates as well as the conservatives um, in the conference. Yeah, and and Aiden, I mean, you're close to the appropriators, and my sense from them is. They're not eager for these big cuts, right? They're not. <laughs> they, they they're already saying they don't want to cut defense, and they're they're concerned about how much discretionary spending should be should be targeted here, right? Yeah, there's definitely some uh, concern, you know, especially if it's someone's bill that they feel strongly about, you know, to really slash it to the level that the fiscal twenty two, you know, which is what we're talking about, would be or even lower than that. So I think that's a really strong assessment that, you know, appropriators and, you know, Republican appropriators are saying that they do think there is room for cuts, but maybe not as far as the fiscal 22 level, which is what some are calling for. So threading that needle is what's really going to be fascinating to watch, I think. Can they really come up with a way that would even unify Republicans so that they can get to the negotiating table with Democrats on any kind of debt limit deal. Right now, they're not there. And McCarthy was careful at the White House to say, you know, there were no promises made. You know, there, he, he, he emerged with nothing concrete except a commitment to keep talking. And 
He said the White House would call him back in a few more days. So maybe this coming week, we're going to learn more about whether they're ready for another meeting. Obviously, this is going to feature prominently in the State of the Union address that that the president's going to deliver on Tuesday night. You can be sure he's going to make the case again that the the debt limit the debt limit can't be held hostage to these kind of cuts, and he's buoyed now by some strong job growth numbers that came out Friday, where he can point to them and say, "Look, our economy is working, and we don't want to do anything that's going to wreak havoc on that." So we'll see the argument he makes here and how persuasive it is as to whether he can fend off spending cuts um, as he tries to get the debt limit raised. Yeah, I mean, the the monkey is really on the back of the House Republicans at this point, because, I mean, you know, Democrats are not going to go along with any conditions to a debt limit increase um, unless they're really forced to. And the only way they're going to be forced to is if if Republicans can unify behind a plan that they can also sell to Americans, which could bring about pressure from from Americans, from voters to to move in this direction. So, you know, you go back to, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy, you know, being elected speaker and it took took 15, 15 ballots. And, you know, in the process of this, you know, he made various commitments to some of the more hardline conservatives. And, you know, those commitments included, you know, rolling back spending and and not raising the debt limit without spending cuts and so on. And so, I mean, you know, those those members, you know, if if House Republicans are going to unify behind a plan, you know, those members who insisted on those measures are going to have to realize, and maybe they do realize, that they need to get the whole conference on board if they want to actually uh, put forward a plan that has a chance of um, of working. Okay. So a lot going on here. We're going to see Tuesday night what, 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 what they pitch, what the president pitches in the State of the Union. And of course, you can f- track all of our coverage at cq.com and rollcall.com. But that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, Aiden Quigley, for joining me. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Paul Krozak. And thank you, David. And be sure to you can catch our budget newsletter at cq.com as well. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And we'll be back next time. <laughs>